Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Pat Cummins. I'm Josh Hazelwood. I'm Lisbon Kawaja. I'm Mitch Marsh. I'm Darren Lehman. I'm Mitch Stark, and you're listening to the Unplayable Podcast. This is the Unplayable Podcast on this week's episode. We've got a whole mess of T20 cricket to review, and here to do that is former Australian captain Lisa Stalaker. Lisa, can you believe that another season, another year of the Big Bash is finally over? No, I can't, and I'm not quite sure what I'm going to watch now. <laughs> uh, it's always been played in the background and making sure I, I stay across all cricket, uh, and all cricket-loving fans are going to have to find something else to do on, on an evening. All right, well... Before uh, we move on, let's reminisce a little bit and talk about the season and the finals that have just happened. First of all, the men's, the KFC Big Bash League final. The Adelaide Strikers, they're the new champions. They won it. They scored two for 202. They beat Hobart Hurricanes, who put five for 177 on the board by 25 runs. Jake Weatherall made a brilliant 115 from 70 balls, hit nine fours and eight sixes. Travis Head made 44 from 29 balls, and for Hobart in reply, Darcy Short scored 68 from 44 balls. George Bailey, a valiant 46. But they couldn't get away from the strikers' frugal bowling attack led by Peter Siddle, who claimed 3 for 17 from 4 overs, including one made it now. Lisa, both teams were playing for their first BBL title. And in the end, it was the strikers' bowlers who proved the difference. Yeah, it was actually interesting. The Hobart Hurricanes uh, had the highest average um, scoring, so I think they were scoring over eight runs per over. Yet the Adelaide Strikers had the least out of all the teams, which I think was about seven point four. So both teams were pipped nicely against each other, and the Adelaide Strikers won the toss and elected to bat first, which goes against the grain of T Twenty yep. cricket. And I think uh, the fact that Jake Weatherald, the selectors have done such a wonderful job with him. He had such a poor start to the Big Bash. But they felt that he wasn't that far away in what the last, I think, five innings he was able to to, to pull up uh, a couple of 50s. Yep. And then the final, well, I think it was a faultless innings. That's right. And what even made it more special was that the Australian selectors released the national players. So we had the likes of Head come back in the side. Darcy Short was there, but he outshone them all. And some of his strokes play, Lisa, it was just extraordinary. He didn't really slow down, maybe a little bit when he got close to that three figures. But throughout the innings, the momentum he carried throughout it was just so impressive. Yeah, it was really impressive to watch. Clean striking. Uh, the Hurricane bowlers, I think they bowled pretty poor. They started to, to bowl kind of into his hip and, you know, with all the left-handers that the strikers possess and short boundary square of the wicket Adelaide Oval, they were able to kind of clip them away regularly. And they never bowled full and straight because you want to you want to get the batters to hit you straight down the ground. That's the longest part of the boundary. And the Hobart Hurricanes took too long to really figure that out. And, and in the end, that's what really cost them. Joffre Arsha, who's been one of the fines of the Big Bash, who's got a big IPL payday like some of the other Australians and international players in the BBL have done so. But he was not at his best in the semi-final final, was he? Well, this is the problem when you bowl about 149 clicks. Yeah. If you don't get it right, it's going to go the distance, and he certainly did. And I think they played him really well. They understood it. They were, the batters were always a step ahead um, 
with what Joffrey Archer was kind of going to deliver. And uh, once you get on top of the, the bowlers, and, you know, George Bailey, who's normally cool, calm and collected, there was a lot of uh, teapots um, and there was certainly a lot of frustration from him, um, which just showed that they just did not execute their plans well. Well, Archer might not have had a great game, Lisa. Peter Siddle certainly did. No Rashid Khan. He was on international duties for the final, but Siddle stepped up. Uh, he's normally seen as a red ball specialist, but what a season. 11 wickets at 20 and an economy rate of 5.95, which is extraordinary for a fast bowler. Uh, Lisa, what made him, Peter Siddle, so good this season? I think it's uh, firstly his experience in pressure moments. Um, he was able to, to control his nerves. Uh, he'd been working hard for a number of years on all of his slight change of pace and I think it came to fruition this year for the Adelaide Strikers. And for a guy to bowl at you know, just around 130 kilometres in T20 cricket, he bowled good line, good length. His slower balls came out perfectly and he had the ball on the yo-yo and you certainly did not expect him to pick up three for 17, but he did. He'd been doing it all season. Now, one of the big talking points in this match was... Matthew Wade. Now, Wade was a man of the match in the semi-final. He got 71 or 45 balls against the Scorchers. Uh, he was opening the batting in that innings, but Lisa, in the final, we saw him bat at number six. There's been talk about how the, the Hobart Hurricanes wanted that left-hand, right-hand uh, combination of the crease at all times, access that short boundary. And with Darcy Short coming back in, he went up to the top of the order to pardon Tim Payne. What do you reckon, Lisa? Do you think the Hurricanes might have got that one wrong? Well, I think so. Um, I understand the reasoning behind it, and that's fine. But when a guy has scored you that many runs in the semi-final, he's seeing the ball as big as a watermelon, you've got to get him in early. And whilst Darcy Short um, played okay, we just didn't see the free-flowing short that we're used to seeing in the big bash. And we saw with the Adelaide Strikers, they had two left-handers that opened. They had another left-hander that came in number three. They had another left-hander that came in number four, and it worked fine for them. So I think they did get that wrong. And, and I'd like to think that uh, looking back now, if they were put in the same situation, that hopefully they'd go with Wade. And T20 is all about matchups, but sometimes you think that captains and coaches and teams get bogged down in that, that they think, right, our left-handers on strike, we've got to bowl the off-spinner instead of bowling the leg or the left-arm orthodox. Same with the batting combinations. We can't have two left-handers or two right-handers out there. At times, you just need to bowl your bowl your best bowls and bat your best batters. Well, um, I think if you go back to, to test cricket, our best openers are Hayden and Langer, aren't they? Uh, and that went certainly against the grain because we always want that right-left-hand combination so you capitalise on poor deliveries and bowlers not being able to adjust. But T20 cricket and the game has, has gone to a new um, level where bowlers are expected to come on for one-over slots. Um, they're expected to hit their line and length straight away. So I think you've just got to, like you said, Sam, bowl your best bowler and bat your best batter. Is that what you did when you were captain? Bowl yourself, bat yourself? <laughs> no, because I certainly I was not the best at, at both things at times. Right. Now, overall, it was a huge BBL season. 1.14 million fans through the gates, an average of 26,600 per match. Games were held in Canberra, Alice Springs, Geelong and Launceston. There was bulk live streams, bulk video views on Cricket Network. Uh, Lisa, for you, what were your, some of your highlights? What was your... Give us your top three. Well, I think taking the games to Alice Spring was pretty special. Um, the fact that Jason Gillespie and Faith Thomas were kind of celebrated as Australian cricketers. Um, and I think that's probably an area that uh, Cricket Australia want to improve in is the fact 
they want to make cricket a sport for all, which includes the our indigenous population. So hopefully that's the start of some exciting things. Uh, obviously Optus Stadium, I thought that was pretty um, special, the semi-final uh, to see all the Scorchers fans and, and be excited about a new stadium that they're going to now create as their own. So I think that was a, a pretty special moment. Uh, and then obviously... I think the semi-final for the Adelaide Strikers because I was actually sitting back and watching and I was one of the many that wanted the the semi-final, the Strikers to win so we didn't have to travel anymore. But (laughs) um, what a finish, what an exciting finish for the local fans and... uh, yeah, and then you think of the final, and I think you you had your be- your best four teams in the finals. And how about that Jake Weatherall catch against the Renegades at Etihad Stadium? Yeah, it was a good catch. Yeah, very good catch. Uh, and I, I think we, you know, people might criticise the fact that the you know the fielding standard might have dropped a little bit, and I'd, I'd probably agree. But we still had some pretty special catches mm. throughout uh, both the WBBL and the Big Bash. Looking ahead, let's, let's go ahead right now in a year's time. The season might be done. It might be go a couple of weeks further next year. Who knows? But uh, are we going to see those same four teams, or can you see a resurgence from the Sixers? Can the Melbourne Stars get back into the finals? Can the Scorchers keep this amazing finals appearance run up? Well, I think the Scorchers will certainly be there in the in the finals time. I think you know Justin Langer and Chris Matthews have done a wonderful job over there, and they've created a certain culture that people want to be a part of. Um, I think everything will kind of go back to what what does uh, the structure look like for the Big Bash, how much longer, how much shorter, uh, and then um, what players are available and that can be available for a long period of time. So you'd like to think that maybe you know a team like the Melbourne Stars might uh, really clean it out. They've had a number of players that have retired, so they'll be looking at, uh, and be on the hunt for some exciting talent. Um, the other thing I think that has been great is that we had Afghanistan players come in, Rashid Khan and Mohammed Nabi. Uh, they performed really well. So again, uh, with the ICC qualifiers taking place in Zimbabwe uh, in March this year, I think there'll be a number of talented um, players that come out of those associate countries or, or have now be, just been elevated to full member countries. Um, and that will be exciting for the game to take it forward. Lisa, the women's Big Bash, the Women's Rebel Big Bash League, uh, has been taken out by the Sixers for the second time running. Uh, the Perth Scorchers, 99, all out for 99, lost to the Sydney Sixers, 1 for 100 by 9 wickets. Sarah Coit with 3 for 17 was the pick of the bowls before Alyssa Healy burst out of the gates with 41 from 32 balls as Elise Perry and Ash Gardner sealed the Sixers a win. Uh, now, Lisa... I'm sure, as a former Sixer player, that you are more than excited about this result. But it was a thumping, wasn't it? Yeah, it certainly was a thumping. And it just shows the experience that the Sydney Sixers have when it comes to finals. Uh, They find a way of winning. Um, The Scorchers, Elise Villani and Nicole Bolton, you know, just looked really timid at the crease. Uh, They didn't take it to the Sixers bowlers, who were bowling well. But uh, you've got to kind of almost... You can't afford to feel fear failure, and, and that's what it looked like. They were thinking, we've scored the bulk of the runs this whole season. We've got to do it again. And they ate up too many balls, and then when they tried to go up to the next level and go through the gears, they got out, and that just exposed a middle order that probably hasn't had as much time in the middle as they would have liked. And then only chasing 100. It's not one of those tricky totals, 120, 135, you know, something like that, but 99, chasing 100, 
Sixers would have been pretty confident at the halftime break, wouldn't they? Certainly, and I think the we we were able to get a bit of insight from Elisa Healy, who said that it was a good toss to lose actually because the the pitch was a bit tacky. Um, and obviously the pitch, with a, I think it was 35 degrees that day in Adelaide, started to, to dry out and got harder. So I think uh, the Sixers got the better pitch uh, and it showed by the fact that Elisa Healy was able to again do what she normally does and strike the ball extremely well at the top of the, the order and this time she managed to evade the fielders for long enough just to, to have a dent in that 100 runs. How good she been? She's followed a bit of like the, the Jake Weatherall, hasn't she? A bit of a rocky start at the start of the season, but then finished the back end in fabulous form. Yeah, she. I think uh, having watched a number of the matches as well, even when she scored low totals, she's actually thumped the ball. Um, she's found the middle of the bat more often than not. She just happened to find the fielders as well. So it was only a matter of time until she kind of was able to find the gaps. Uh, and it just shows what a dynamic player she is at the top. And um, whilst we always talk about batting and bowling, I think her keeping as well in that final was exceptional. She took a really good catch off Erin Burns keeping up. Um, stumpings were fast. I think she removed Elise Villani and before Villani could turn around, the bails were already off. So um, I think she had an exceptional game and she was very unlucky not to get player of the match. And can you see how she's already the, well, the openers in the T20 team and the one-day team? Straight don't play too many women's test matches, but is she a top-order player in all formats now? I think she is. I think she prefers – and you speak to all players, male and female, uh, those that like to strike the ball and find the boundary, they know the best time to bat is when the ball is brand new and, and hard. And, and also you've got those field restrictions. So uh, for her, it's all about consistency. Is she able to, to deliver that at the next level consistently? And if she does, then certainly she should be in the top order. I like her at – you know, five or six in the test match, almost like an Adam Gilchrist um, position. Uh, and she did well in the one-off test against England uh, only a few months ago. Now Sarah Coit, Lisa, how about this return? Ten wickets in four games. Now, she's been through a little bit. What can you share about her comeback? Oh, look, it was uh, very exciting to hear that she had come out of retirement and the Sydney Sixers were able to coax her out because uh, certainly losing uh, Marizan Cap, uh, their key wicket-taker, and Dane van Niekirk, um, they needed to find someone who could fill that role. No one thought... Sarah Coit would be able to, to do even better than those two bowlers. But the fact that she was able to come back in, she's always been such an effective bowler. Um, she, I guess maybe you could say, say she's like a Peter Siddle. There's, there's not a lot of pace to her, but she has just those slight variations. And in T20 cricket, when she bowls stump to stump, she's extremely hard to get away. And she just picked up wickets for fun. And it was great to see her out there with a smile on her face. And um, for those that don't know, she retired from the game uh, end of last year, uh, you know, had an, an eating disorder throughout her cricket career, which really hampered, you know, as you can imagine, her, her mental and physical state of mind. So I think um, for her to come back in the game, whether we, whether we keep her, whether she's willing to, to continue to play, that will be the big thing. But... Um, I know she enjoyed it and she enjoyed playing amongst a lot of her mates who she grew up and played a lot of cricket with. If she decides to continue and maybe re-spark that international career, can you see getting to that Australian side? Oh, I think she's got the talent too. Um, it's only whether she wants to. And, and I think she's actually in a really good place. Um, she's doing a lot of CrossFit. So if you want to go on her Instagram account, she's lifting big. <laughs> she's strong. Um, and I think she's got a nice balance. So uh, whilst... 
she would have loved to be uh, loved being part of the Sydney Sixers. I don't know if she wants to to make it her profession again. Um, so I think it would still take a few more years if, if we were ever to, to get her back full time. So where to now for the Sixers, Lisa? Can they establish themselves as a bit of a dynasty like the Scorchers have done in the men's BBL? I think they certainly have the ability to. Um, I would assume that majority of their players are on two-year contracts. So you'd assume that um, the same core group of players will be back again next year. And I think they've got a great balance. They've got the experience um, uh, within their international stars, but then they've also recruited really well. So the fact that Erin Burns has come across from Hobart Hurricanes, she played a crucial role when a lot of the stars weren't for, uh, performing. She was uh, the highest run scorer, and she showed in the semi final and final that she's more than capable with the ball as well. Uh, so I think the Sixers will, will be hard pressed not to at least be in, in that, that final contention come WBBL 04. So, at least we've had three seasons of the Women's Big Bash League now. Where do you think the standard of play is? Where do you think the tournament is at, having been through three seasons now? I think uh, it certainly went up a, a level. Uh, the amount of sixes we saw, higher scores. Obviously, the first weekend at North Sydney just showed what they were capable of on a good deck, a small ground, um, 242 was scored. Uh, and then, obviously, the games kind of went away from the major kind of grounds and you, the scores kind of dropped because the, I think the pitches and the length of grass and all of that uh, certainly play a role. Um I, I still believe that there's there's so much room still to, to grow within the in the WBBL and, and we're going to see the players get stronger, fitter, um, more athletic around the boundary, um, something similar that we've seen in the men's game. All right. Now your, your, your highlights, your best moments of WBBL 03. I think uh, Ash Gardner's innings uh, at North Sydney Oval was pretty special and, and I think the crowd that came in over that weekend uh, – uh, over 10,000, I think, came over the two days. So it was really exciting to see it grow from that point of view. Uh, I think travelling to different regions, taking the game. I, I went down um, and did a game in Wagga when it was about 40 degrees and there still was a 1,000 people that turned out, which was impressive. Uh, but I think it, that's important as well to take the game to different parts um, of the country. And... The, the exciting thing is that we've got some real youngsters coming through. We saw Annabelle Sutherland uh, play crucial roles with the ball, um, pick up, I think, what, four for ten or something. Uh, and, and we saw a lot of super overs. And we had to keep looking at the rule book, didn't we, throughout um, WBBL because it kept challenging everyone's knowledge on, on what the rules were. So I think that was exciting to see. And what an exciting summer it's been for women's cricket in general with the women's ashes and the women's big bash league. It's just gone from strength to strength. Yeah, it certainly has. And uh, there were a lot of people that were commenting on Twitter saying that it's a shame that Sydney Thunder and Sydney Sixers didn't kind of have a home semi-final. They had to, to follow the men. And, and, and maybe next year with the new broadcast rights, they could potentially um, break that off and, and allow those one and two spots uh, to have the home semi-final. And I think that would be exciting to almost have the final series maybe as a standalone because I think you could probably get a decent crowd uh, and I think we can start building the numbers that way. Lisa, turning our attention to the international T20 tri-series between Australia and New Zealand and England and Australia, 
started the tournament off in fine style, thumping New Zealand by seven wickets, uh, courtesy of the DLS system there in Sydney. The Black Caps were held to nine for 117 from 20 overs. Andrew Tyre showed why he was worth 1.4 million bucks in the IPL auction by collecting four for 23. And Big Billy Stanley snared three for 15, including an absolute C to dismiss Martin Guptill. In reply, Australia lost David Warner and Darcy Short early before Chris Lynn and Glenn Maxwell put on 77 in very quick time to deliver the win. Lisa, how good was it to see Lynn and Maxwell in full flight? Not even the rain could dampen their fireworks. No, they're just exciting cricketers, and that's why those two are kind of the X factor. It's great to have them out in the middle, fans, commentators, even players, probably not the opposition bowlers, uh, don't want to see Maxwell and Lynn together, but everyone else does. And, and it just showed why they're hot property. And the fact that Australia can boast them in the T20 side means that potentially Australia could, for the first time, raise the WT20 title. Lisa, Andrew Ty is having a summer he'll never forget. BBL hat-trick to start the summer off. An ODI debut, huge IPL deal, more wickets in the one-day and T20 sides for Australia. What do you think it's taken him to get to this level? What, how is it? He's been on the radar for a couple of years now, but he's really just taken that next step. It's that knuckleball. It's the knuckleball. It's the knuckleball. That's um, it's been so effective in in the shortest format. It doesn't matter what conditions he's playing, where he's playing it in the world. Uh, he's able to execute it so well, and players have a real issue picking it up, and that's where he picks up a lot of his wickets. And the fact that he can bowl it so effectively that when he does change up and goes full and straight with his pace, he's very damaging. So uh, he's worth every cent that the IPL um, have bought him for. And, and when he played for the Gujarat Lions last year, he was really good as well. I think he got a hat-trick in the IPL as well. So uh, he's going to be an exciting player to watch in the, in the next 18 months' time. And this Australian T20 side is without Stark. Cummins, Hazelwood, those type of bowlers. Do they fit in? Well, I'm asking you. Do they get get in there? Well, I think given the fact that we don't get to see them in Australian colours, um, the the Australian T20 selectors will probably look closely at a lot of those players come IPL time and how effective they are in those conditions. Um, But it's exciting to think that we've still left out our best bowlers uh, in the country and, and we're able... And, and the depth of our bowling that we have can suit all conditions and all formats. Australia's next assignment is England in Hobart on Wednesday. We've seen a dominant England ODI side, Lisa. What can we expect from the 20-over men? I think something very similar. Uh, the brand of cricket that they showed in in the one-day format was exceptional. A lot of those players will cross over into their T20 side. Um, they're confident. They've got a captain who knows how to get the best out of the players. He comes in without um, the, the the trauma of uh, the test series, and a lot of those players do. So um, they've been playing some exciting cricket probably for the last 12 months in the shortest format of white ball cricketers for England, and uh, they're on a high. And, and I think Trevor Bayliss is, is one of the best coaches going around. We've seen that, that he produces results regularly, especially in white ball cricket. Um, and the fact that the Australian team has now kind of got Ricky Ponting involved, I think that's excellent. And the amount of cricket that he's watched, T20, the tactics involved, um, means that I think we're going to give it a good red-hot go. And we've seen him in the one-day series that preceded this tri-series, but Joss Butler is one of the best ball strikers in the world. It's going to be exciting to see him go off. Yeah, it's going to be uh, an issue for the Australian bowlers to keep him quiet because he is such a clean striker. And... and 
you know, there are very few players that from ball one can strike it out of the middle straight away, and he's certainly one of those. The third match in the tri-series before it heads across the Tasman is at the MCG on February 10 between Australia and England. Tickets are still available. Head to cricket.com.au for such ticket to get yours today. Now, Lisa, we're going to finish the show, today's program, with the news of Doug Bollinger retiring from all forms of cricket at the age of 36. Bollinger took 50 wickets in 12 tests, played 89 first-class games for New South Wales and captured 290 wickets, the ninth most in New South Wales' history, the third most by a fast bowler. He's got a bit of a legacy there, Doug, hasn't he? He's one of the great characters of the game. He has been exciting both on and on the on and off the field. I'm sure his teammates are glad that he's no longer playing because I've heard that he was an absolute pest in the change rooms. But he he did give us so much as as fans of the game. Um, you know the whole rug when he put on. You know started to do the yeah yeah and and now he's gone completely bald. So he's and got a big beard there. One yeah, he's it? gone through Red. a lot of changes, a lot of hair growth uh, and taken it off uh when he you know kissed the vb uh logo <laughs> instead of the, the australian crest that that got a, a fair bit of mileage as well, well but, just summed him up didn't it yeah. passionate cricketer just gave it his all and sometimes things just didn't go quite as planned correct but he always made us laugh uh and he was such an effective bowler he, he always steamed in there were probably times at the back end of his career things were hurting, may not have been as fit as he'd like, but you wouldn't be able to tell it because he was charging in all the time, giving his best, regardless of who he was playing. So he's certainly a character that we will miss uh, watching, um, and I wish him all the best for his career and what what he's going to do in the future. I think exciting times for him. Scary as a, as a player who goes into retirement, what do you do now? Because you've only known yourself as a cricketer. But um, I think uh, he'll excel in whatever he decides to do. Lisa, this is the end of the show. Last week, we farewelled Mike Hussey. He was the last podcast. This is going to be your one because uh, we've only got a couple left in South Africa. Appreciate you coming on the show this summer. It's been a huge one and couldn't have done it without you. Thanks, Sam. You're a legend. <laughs> We'll have to keep that one in the edit. Uh, (laughs) That's it for today's episode. The next time you'll hear from us will be in two weeks from South Africa ahead of Australia's warm-up match in Benoni. So until then, head to cricket.com.au for all your cricket news and the free live stream of the JLT Sheffield Shield, which returns on the 8th of February. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.